Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 29, verse 30 through 35. You can follow along on the screen above. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she was, he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This is the word of God. Amen. Good to see you in New Mercy Edgewater. Um, good to see all of you in this. Perhaps for some of you, it's a long weekend um, as we hit the highest temperature mark of the year. Um, and it's always interesting that we are comparative human beings, that last week um, we had, what, the Sunday we had outdoor service, and it was just beautiful, and it was about to rain, it held up, and I know it rained right around when we were about to end, and I saw like 60 people just run to their car and just disappeared. Um, and, and today, it's like up to 100, we were thinking, you know, some of our staff members, if this was last week and we hit 100 there's no way. It would be way too hot to have an outdoor service. And we always just compare. And, and by comparing, I think depending on our perspective, our attitudes can change. We can have a horrible negative attitude and complain. Or we can look at it like, you know what, at least last week wasn't 100 plus, And we had a beautiful outdoor service. So I hope that uh, we enjoy the day uh, without complaining and enjoy what God has given us today. Uh, we truly welcome you here at New Mercy. Today will be the last Sunday of the sermon series that we've been going over for the past few months, and that is relationships that show up in the book of Genesis. Throughout the year 2018, New Mercy has decided that our theme will be looking, examining not only our lives, but our relationship with our God, how our relationships get restored by our gracious, loving Father. So we've been looking at the book of Genesis for the past few months. We looked at Adam and Eve. We looked at Cain and Abel. We looked at Noah, Hagar, and Abraham, Joseph, Jacob. And today we end with the continuation of story of Jacob as we run into this lovely woman named Leah. Um, so I call her the ugly duckling. So as we look into the story of ugly duckling and ugly ducklings of this world, let us bow our heads and pray one more time as we invite the Spirit to join us. Lord, we thank you that you call us, you love us, and you are always faithful in our lives. Lord, we come before you as a church gathered who celebrate as we work through our brokennesses. Because we know that you are a God of restoration. So as we look at the story of uh, restoration in the book of Genesis, uh, may you speak to us through your spirit. May you move us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was a husband and a wife. 
And a husband once said to his wife, sweetheart, God made you so beautiful, but why are you so dumb? And she replied, God made me so beautiful that you would fall in love with me. God made me so dumb, so I would fall in love with you. Um, I think there's some truth in, in that joke, because to a degree, you kind of have to be a little dumb in order to fall in love and marry somebody. Because the reality is, when you are together, hopefully permanently for the rest of your life, you are essentially signing up for a life of disappointment. Right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my wife, Hannah. Our marriage is good, at least from my perspective. But, but every day, if you really examine your marriage and your relationships in your life, if you're really brutally honest, our relationships are full of disappointments day in and day out. That's why in our church, New Mercy, if you ask one of us, the ordained pastors, to officiate your wedding, which we've done many here at New Mercy in the past eight years, uh, we make it mandatory that you go through a premarital counseling session, at least three, with the pastor who's officiating. And one of the things that all three of us agree on and probably say in one way or another is that marriage, relationships, are full of disappointments. Therefore, you always, always marry the wrong person. The fact is, we all have expectations of each other. Our friends, our spouses, our children. And every morning we wake up, we wake up to more disappointments. That's not to say that this life is sad and there's no point. But I'm just trying to point out the reality of what life looks like. No matter how many expectations that we have, my point here is not at one point in our lives, all of our expectations will be met. Never and ever. In the best of our marriages, not the worst, in the best of our relationship, in the best of our friendship, best of our relationships and our families, there will always be disappointments. Disappointment is defined as shattered expectations and dreams. And life, unfortunately, is full of them, aren't they? The psychological and emotion, emotional outcome that does not match up to our expectation. And yet, we know this, but we constantly lean on things of this world, hoping and dreaming that if I grab onto this, maybe it will fill that empty hole in my heart. And sooner or later, we realize, oh, expectation, expectation shattered. So I let go of that thing, grab something else. Whether it's money or a spouse or children, family, good and bad things of this world, we hold on to it tightly, thinking that it will fill us. And yet we realize over and over again that it never fills us fully. But the type of disappointment that hurts us the most, really comes from rejection. Rejection is a form of disappointment that brings about disappointment that hurts us so much. I find that intriguing that in my practice of counseling, that many of you and many others that I see, that we struggle with similar, if not same disappointments that we face and experience 
in junior and high school. That during our teenage years, these rejections that we endured or experienced somehow scarred us for life. And we deal with it day in and day out. You know, I had a, a blessed time this past week, actually, for three nights and four days, I got to go speak at a high school retreat, jumping up and down and crying. And those of you who've been to high school retreats, you kind of know. And maybe as adults now, we look at them and we say, ah, oh, what do they know? They're just full of just emotions. But one thing I learned as I saw and watched and passionately worshiped God together with these high school students over the four days is that, man, so many scars, so many experiences, so many disappointments, especially those of rejection that these high school students face right now, already at age 14, 15, 16, are things that they will struggle with in many degree for the rest of their life. You know, rejections hurt. They do scar us. Rejections are the most common emotional wound we sustain in daily life. And the, the intriguing part is that in 21st century America, as our technolo- technology advances and we have all these venues and facets of communicating and receiving and finding comfort, getting things faster. As technology advances, there really hasn't been quote-unquote advancement of getting rid of our disappointments and rejections. If not, it's the exact opposite. We now have more opportunities to be rejected. There's online apps. With the swipe to the left or right, you feel rejected. Right? You don't get that contact information back to the person that you liked. You post things on Facebook, and we check it, I don't know, by minute, by hour, by day, hoping Who liked this post? And we look up who exactly it was. How many times? There are so many ways and ways for us to be rejected through posts, texts, chats, dating profiles, leaving us, you know, disappointed over and over again. And those are just small disappointments, just minor disappointments I'm talking about. This does not get rid of our vulnerability to be rejected in major ways. Divorces. Rejection between families where you just shun each other. Broken dating relationships. Friendships that have faded away. Whether the rejection we experience is large or small, one thing that remains constant is that it always, always hurts. And it usually hurts much more than we expected. And when it hurts, rejection lingers around for a long time and ruins our mood. And scientists have discovered uh, through studies that when they hook up uh, MRI machines and different scans to our brains and our hearts, our body and our brain, the parts that light up and react and move uh, when we are asked to remember stories and experiences of rejection. It's the same places that when we feel physical pain. So that we know that when we get rejected and we feel so disappointed by the ruined expectations, it's not just our minds and our hearts that feel that pain, but it is physically our bodies that go through tremendous trauma. 
Unfortunately, the greatest damage reaction causes is usually self-inflicted, isn't it? We feel rejected. We feel disappointed. And then we self-inflict our wounds even more. And we sit there in dark corners and nights, moments alone, thinking about this rejection. And we just keep self-inflicting more wounds, more harm to our body, our minds, and our souls. We become intensely self-critical. We call ourselves names, lament, and we constantly think about our shortcomings and disgusted feelings and thoughts and experiences that we had. And that's exactly, I imagine, how Leah felt. Leah, as I said, I like to call her ugly duckling, but not in a, you know, ugly duckling, it's so cute, but it's so different and unique. No. Ugly duckling in the sense that her life, her entire life was full of disappointments and rejection by the very people that she respected and loved. Let's look at Leah's life. We looked at Jacob's life. He travels through the desert for days, and he finally finds his uncle Laban because, remember, he tricked his father and his brother to receive the blessing with the help of his mom, remember? And he runs away forever. He's thinking that he can never go back home. He goes to this foreign land, Haran, and looks for his uncle Laban and finally finds him. And in the process, he finds this beautiful, attractive woman named Rachel, who is his cousin. And in that scene of, remember, moving the well, the stone, as the shepherds are all gathering... As Rachel enters the scene, I imagine this movie scene is just, he is just mesmerized. Love at first sight. And knowing Jacob's personality and his selfishness, I imagine that he was thinking two things. Wow, I have an opportunity to win this woman over and marry her. Not only that, look at the the flock of sheep that she has with her. My uncle must be rich and well off. Cha-ching! I hit the jackpot. So Jacob makes this ridiculous promise to his uncle Laban and says, I will slave for you for seven years, which is beyond, beyond multiple times of what a normal wage or dowry would have been at that time to win a daughter over. And yet he says, I will work for you seven years, Uncle Laban, if you only give me Rachel. And before the scripture that we read today, what happens right beforehand is Jacob is tricked by his own uncle. A trickster gets tricked. A schemer gets schemed. And he then wakes up in the morning. It is not Rachel besides him, but it is Leah. What do we know about Leah? Well, the first thing that the scripture ever says in Genesis about Leah is Rachel was beautiful. If you look at the Hebrew word beautiful, it, it has a connotation of this physical, sexual attractiveness. But it says, but her sister Leah had weak eyes. What does that mean? Why would the scripture tell us that she has weak eyes and her sister is beautiful? Well, commentators interpret it two ways. One, they, 
the, the, the writer would have said that Leah had weak eyes because perhaps she has some kind of physical ailment, ailment, right? Disability in her eyes. That maybe she was cross-eyed or she was so nearsighted or so far-sighted. But more common description or interpretation of the Leah having weak eyes is that really there was nothing else to show forth that was special about Leah. That her sister was beautiful, so attractive that everywhere she went, everybody commented about her. All the men fell over heels for her. And yet there was her sister, the ugly duckling. She had weak eyes because there's nothing else to say about her. She's just normal, at best average. So imagine how Leah grew up feeling rejected by this world. And isn't it interesting that we look at the, the Old Testament and we look at the times of, you know, before Jesus Christ and we say, oh man, that's so primitive, right? They judged women purely on their looks and appearances. And we think, fast forward, 21st century America, what has changed? We look at women and men, look at the physical appearance and we judge the book by its cover. And for many of us, unfortunately, get judged purely by the way we look in the outer appearance. Leah was the epitome of a person who was, who was hurt and rejected and disappointed by this world. Her community that rejected her because the way she looked. It's not really her fault. But imagine... She was rejected because of the weak eye factor. And also, I believe there would have been an excessive comparison. Having a sister that's so beautiful, and then me. Everyone always running towards her, and then me. Not only that, imagine how much she would have felt rejected because her very father, Her own father, Laban, comes to Leah, perhaps days or weeks before the wedding date is set, that is supposed to happen between Rachel and Jacob, and says, Leah, come in. Listen, you're my first daughter. Your sister, let's face it, she's beautiful. She's not going to have a problem getting married. Jacob's, I mean, he he slaved seven years for her. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask for perhaps more time, and this is only chance in which I can get you married. This might be the only chance that someone will actually accept you. Maybe he won't love you physically. Maybe he won't, you know, look at you the way he looks at Rachel. But look, you're used to it, right? You want to get married? So just let's go. Let's do this. Let's trick Jacob You go into that tent on the wedding night. He'll be kind of drunk, tipsy. He won't really know. Sleep with them, done, deal. And I imagine Leah thinking, this is horrible. But she went along with the plan. To a degree, let's face it, it's times of patriarchy where when a father says something to a daughter, she listened and obeyed. But just look at the internal struggle within Leah. Imagine 
She knows that this is so deeply wrong. And yet, I bet there was a glimmer of hope in our life, in our thoughts, in our emotions, thinking, maybe if I do go along, not that I have much of a choice, but if I do go along, maybe after Jacob sleeps with me, maybe it's officially on paper, maybe after we have the ceremony, although Jacob will be mad and angry and pissed off at my father and perhaps even me, one day, He will accept me as his wife. A woman who is used and abused. A woman who is bought and sold. Here is Leah. Rejected by the community. Constantly compared to her sister. And now we see the ultimate form of rejection that scars her for the rest of her life, perhaps because of her father. You know, when I read Leah's story, I think about all the ugly ducklings in the world, but more so ugly duckling moments in my life and all those of you who've shared your story with me. And I also cannot help but to think about the women in Thailand. I know a couple weeks ago we had our amazing missionary named Kay Kalar come up and share She's a Thai native. She serves in Bangkok to get the woman out of the sex slave trade. And I think about all those women that I met when I went to Thailand and their stories and experiences of their parents, their family, selling them off or encouraging them to go sell their bodies so they can make a living and send some money back home. I imagine that Leah felt that kind of pressure. And where it hurt the most was that she was unloved by everyone. And it says, in fact, in verse 31, when God saw that Leah was unloved, it is God who notices this rejection and disappointment in Leah's life. And the word in Hebrew, unloved, actually direct translation is actually hated, forgotten on purpose. And yet God sees Leah's heart and he goes after her and opens her womb. And during this time, I mean, having a child today is significant. And many times we also as parents, those of you who are, who are parents, we feel love through other people by having our own children. But this, during this time, being married and having that first son is crucial. And being put on a pedestal. So while Jacob, her husband now, right, decides to slave away for another seven years to win over Rachel because he idolizes her, here's Leah living in the same house as Jacob, feeling unloved and hated and forgotten with a purpose. And yet God sees the disappointment and rejection that Leah faces. And God opens her womb and allows her to have that first son. Here's my blessing to you. Here's my gift. And it's interesting that Leah, at the sign of her first pregnancy, about to have the son named Reuben, let's once again empathize with her. I imagine Leah thinking, yes, thank you, God. 
thank you for this son. Not a daughter, a son. And thank you for making me have the first son, not Rachel. Maybe through this son now, Jacob will love me. Maybe through this son, this community will look at me differently. Maybe they will treat me differently. So she names him Reuben. It literally means, behold, a son. It's like, hello, I got a son! Exclamation point. That's what it means, Reuben, right? That God saw me, physically saw me, and now maybe Jacob will see me finally. It doesn't happen. So she has a second son, and she names him Simeon. Lord hears Simeon. God heard my cries, and now he has given me this second son, Simeon. And now maybe my husband, Jacob, who never pay attention to me, never sees me, maybe he will just hear me. Doesn't happen. Third time around, she names the son Levi. The Lord secures or joins or attaches Now that God saw me and pitied me again, I will name him Levi. And maybe my husband Jacob will be attached to me or secure me because I gave him three sons. Not one, not two, three. While Rachel has none at this point. Her expectations and wishes do not come true. Are you feeling that pain with me? I mean, this is not, oh, well, I tried. Let's try again. This is her entire life. She's at the peak of her rejection, peak of her pain and suffering. And she has three sons and hands them off to Jacob and names them by herself and says, God sees me, maybe you'll see me. God hears me, maybe you'll hear me. God made me attached to him. Maybe you'll secure me now. And it does not happen. And she finally comes around and she names her fourth son, Judah. I will praise God, Judah. I will praise God, Judah. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how you view me, no matter how much you treat me horribly and look at me with disgust, no matter how many times my father has tricked me and used me and abused me, no matter how many times my husband rejects me and goes after my sister, God, you will be praised, Judah. Fourth time around is the charm. Leah finally gets it. God speaks to her, and she finally hears him, sees him, gets attached to him, and finds full security in our Lord and says, God, I will praise you no matter what happens in my life. I think there's two things to think about and take away here. I want us to think about our desires. As Christian brothers and sisters, if we desire somebody, we desire things of this world that are beautiful, and those are the things, very things that we go after, we are no different. This world says, the current of this world goes to all the things that are beautiful, that are talented, that are gifted, 
and we put them on the pedestal. And yet Jesus Christ came to us in the form of humanity to go through the pain and the suffering and die on the cross for us. Why? So that we go against the current. So we be able to see the things that are not desirable. That we see the people that are undesirable in this life. That's why we have the gospel. So I ask you, church, new mercy. We call ourselves church for the broken. Call to restoration. Are we seeing those things and people who are undesirable by this world? And are we going towards those brokenness? Are we going towards those broken people and saying, God loves you and I want to show you that love? Desire. Let us check our desires. And secondly, I want us to think about disappointments because we all have them. One thing we learned through Leah is no matter how many times that she was disappointed and rejected in our life, having the three sons and the fourth, she comes to God and says, God, you hear me, you see me, you secure me. Look, it's okay if it's not perfect. Three times around, she really did not get it, although she came to God with those sons. Isn't that us? But I ask you, be persistent. Let us be persistent in coming to Christ, coming to our Lord and saying, God, I know I'm not perfect, but I come to you with my brokenness, my disappointments, my rejections. And perhaps one day, you will encounter God as Leah did and hope and I pray that we be able to lift up our hands and look up into our Lord and say, God, you will be praised. Not because of this, not because of that, but you will be praised because of who you are. And for that, you know how Leah's story ends? She is the side wife. She is the rejected, the marginalized. And yet when she names Judah, God, you will be praised. God uses this rejected, ugly duckling. Through the line of Judah comes King David. Through the line of King David comes Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God. That is the gospel message. So I challenge us, brothers and sisters, will you bow your heads with me and pray? Let us pray for two things. Do you have the desire And only the desire to go after the things that are wanted and desirable and loved. Things that are beautiful of this world. Let's ask God for repentance. God, may you give me the lens and perspective to be able to see the marginalized. Those who are on the outskirts. And I want to challenge us to pray also for the second topic. Do you have disappointments in your life? You feel rejected? Maybe perhaps even by God. Be persistent. Let us go after our Lord. Because our God really does love us. Really wants the best for us. So let us call out to the Lord. God, we will praise you no matter what happens in our lives. Let us pray.